0: The neon lights are both an invitation and a death trap, and he knows that. But as darkness falls over the city, humanity will come out and line up, more than willing to pay the $20 cover charge, the two-drink minimum. The velvet ropes will be removed, and building after building, the neon lights will advertise what's inside, who's dancing, what you will get. He's never been behind the black curtains that cover the doorway. You can't see inside the painted windows, but he knows what happened there. He will walk down the sidewalk amidst all those that are lining up. It's where they will spend their Friday evening. And there's something inside the heart of a man, even himself, that every once in a while longs just to duck inside and be part of the crowd. He'll gaze off the cobblestone long enough to catch a glimpse of someone right before they dart inside that little glimpse of recognition, and he feels somewhere there's this giant scoreboard keeping track, and he's lost another one. By the time he walks down this strip and gets in the end, his shadow will fade beyond the neon lights into the darkness. He'll fumble for the keys, open the large wooden latch. The door will swing open with a creak. He'll walk to the far corner, and he'll light a candle, and then he'll sit, staring at a blank piece of paper. He's given up hope that anybody will come inside and join him. He's been advertising it for years. Pastor will always be in the church Friday night at the end of the strip. If you want anything at all, if you just want to talk, if you want words of encouragement, if you want to share something God is doing, if you want prayer, feel free just to walk in and join me. But the place has been silent for months. Uh, There were times. There were times someone ran in and said, you have to come to the house, so-and-so is sick, we need prayer. There's glimpses where he felt like he was useful. There's the time the woman brought in her friend. She's found out how many times her husband's been cheating on her. She was broken. She felt like life is just turned upside down. He was able to give her hope and a promise. He hasn't seen him for months. The church thinks he's working on a message, but what he's working on is the strength to show up for one more weekend. He's done. There's a huge billboard just outside on the corner that says, what happens in Ephesus stays in Ephesus. (laughs) And everyone knows it. It's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It's a port city. It's a place of anonymity where sailors come and merchants and businessmen and travelers. It's a place where you're far from home, where no one knows who you are. It's a place where you can do anything, become anything, take part in anything. And the city's economy booms because of it. It's a place known for housing one of the seven great wonders of the world, that giant temple to Artemis or Diana, that Roman goddess, the goddess with a torso that has many breasts around it. And you can imagine what they celebrate there. It's a place known for its dark arch, its magic incantations, its abracadabra as they call them. Those parchments where if you pay enough money, magic script will be written. You wear it close to the skin to protect yourself. Or you bury it in your field back home to allow you to have more prosperity. And everyone flocks to the city. And the neon lights blink. And he sits at the end of the strip in a small church. Where there's more dust on the pews than there are people on the weekends. And he wonders if he has what it takes. Deep into his thoughts, his own depression, he's awoken by the slapping of sandal feet Against those three stone steps, a young man comes running into the darkness, into the candlelight. Leather satchel around his neck and hanging off to his waist. He plunges a hand inside. Before he removes the contents, first he looks for identification. Your name, taken by surprise, he looks up and goes, Timothy. And as soon as the young man has run in, he's now handed him a parchment, and he runs back out. And Tim is sitting there looking at the seal, warning if he breaks it and reads it. That's all he needs. Another church member that's complaining about the way things are going, what the church is doing with their money, about the new movements, about how things aren't the same, about how the church is changing. Another complaint that he just doesn't want to deal with. his hands break the seal. He opens it. And that first center grips him. That first sentence, Tim, it's the Apostle Paul. Hey, buddy, I love you like a son. And he has to put it down on the desk. He has to swallow the lump in his throat. He wipes that little tear from the side of his eye before he continues. He knows in his heart the letter has come too late. History will tell us this letter has come in the nick of time. If you were here last week, you saw what happened as you guys have been walking through the book of Acts in this port city called Ephesus. You saw that the Apostle Paul himself taught there for a little over two years, barring the lecture hall in the afternoon from Tyrannus. You saw how this little church started to hear. They started to put together the facts of the rumors they've been hearing across the Mediterranean Sea. The rumors that there is a guy who can heal leprosy. He will take his finger and putting in the oozing pus and sores of those that are diseased and molecules will rearrange themselves. There's rumors that a crippled man had a hole cut in the roof, was lowered down in front of the crowd, and Jesus allowed a guy who was paralyzed to walk out on his own feet and string. Rumor has it as Jesus was coming into the city, he stopped for a moment, and <clears throat> spit a loogie in the mud. He put it on the blind guy's eyes, and now he can see. Rumor has it he fed 5,000 people out of one GI Joe lunchbox. <laughs> and as all roads lead to Rome, the information network has started to travel. And Paul spent two years connecting the dots. This was no man, this was no teacher, this was God on earth. You saw last week, it's made such a dent in the economy of the third largest city in the Roman Empire that a riot broke out. They're not selling their idols. They're not selling their abracadabras. They're not selling their black arts as much. People are coming to Ephesus to get tools for prosperity and they're finding a new God and the townspeople have heard enough. Oh, what a great start. This early church has exploded and Paul left a young man named Timothy in charge of it. Congratulations, buddy. I've trained you. I've taught you. You're the pastor. He wrote a book called First Timothy where he's just encouraging them. Hey, buddy, don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness. You're going to set an example to the rest of the believers in your life, in your love, in your speech, in your conduct. Go get them. And Timothy wanted to take Ephesus by storm. Timothy wanted to make a dent in life. Timothy wanted to impact the city. And four years later, there's a different book. Four years later, he sits alone at the end of the strip. And today I want you to take you inside in candlelight to look over the shoulder of this young leader to read the words of encouragement that the founding father, his mentor, are writing to him. And today to see what we can apply to our own life. So if you got a Bible, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I know you're probably thinking, is that the introduction? I thought you were going to close in prayer. No. (laughs) We're just going to make room because there's another service that's going to come in halfway through and join us. We're in 2 Timothy, is he serious? 2 Timothy chapter two. If you know how to find it, it's in the back of the Bible. If you don't, God wrote a table of contents on page one just to help you find 2 Timothy. While you're there, Randy said there's water. Holy cow. I'm gonna work up a thirst getting to my water. Uh, While you're turning, I just wanna also throw in my thanks for this church. The grace, the forgiveness, the patience, the compassion that you showed this young guy as I was trying to work out giftedness and serving God. The mistakes I made in this place, are overwhelming. I still know why this carpet was replaced right here. I know how that cloud got ripped and re right there. I know why there's two little eye circles on the side of the balcony. I put that carabiner there, it's 20 years old. I don't know why it's still there, but I know what it was about and what it was for. The amount of you that loved me working with your kids and the amount of you I still need to apologize after this service for working with your kids. (laughs) I was sitting first service, looking around at familiar faces, noticed someone in the orchestra and remembered, oh, that was a bad night of fireworks in Mexico. (laughs) I don't even know if we're gonna say hi or not. I just wanna assure you every mistake I played out here, now I lead youth pastors. and we're trying to make sure they don't make the same mistakes. You showed me so much grace and mercy. You guys were a reflection of your senior pastor. I've always said it before, if Glenn ever met Satan, he would encourage him. It's crazy about the guy. (laughs) He'd make it clear, he'd make it clear he's against what he's doing, but he'd probably encourage him on his work ethic and his tenacity. (laughs) I try to come here once a year just to hear him introduce me, I get excited. I'm like, man, I can't wait to hear this guy. I'm gonna play that for my own church back home. They're gonna, be like, what? <laughs> Amy and I love coming home. And you have a history, a history of impacting this area, and a history of sending out leaders that are continuing to impact the world. I wanna thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. I think my gift to you today is the word of God in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I would like to return some encouragement. Because it simply starts and says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 25 times. In this small little book of second Timothy 25 times in my Bible, it's only three pages, 25 times. This is the theme that Paul will write to someone struggling with their Christianity and ministry today. Someone who had great upbringing, someone who had a great start, but someone who feels like the world outside is winning. Have you been there 25 times? He goes, man, I want you to find strength. I want you to take courage. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up 25 times. Now, church, let me ask you, if someone 25 times is telling you to find strength, it's because you feel (laughs) weak. Okay, here's how we're going to do this today. There may be times I decide to ask a question, and when I ask a question, I'd like to see if you can answer it. And by the way, shout out whatever you want. There's no wrong answers. You can't flunk church, so we're good. If 25 times someone is telling you to find strength, it's because you feel weak. And he goes, Ann, I want you to find some people to do this with. Because if you feel like you have no one around you, you feel alone. alone. Weak works too. It's the same answer. (laughs) You're like, yeah, I got it right the first time. I'm going to use it for everything. Jesus. Just shout out Jesus. (laughs) It's because you feel alone. Just when I said there's no wrong answers, I'm like, no, that wasn't right. Here we go. (laughs) I wonder, I wonder if we did a show of hands today. I wonder if we went around the room with the microphone, and don't worry, we won't. I mean, God forbid we ever get honest at church. That would be crazy. (laughs) Let's pretend like we got it all together and just fake it for the next hour. We're going to be good. But I wonder, I wonder if we're going to be honest today, and I would ask you, can you give me two adjectives? Can you give me two adjectives that sum up your Christian life? Christian life is such a vague thing. It's like being an American. I mean, yes, I am. Let me me do it differently. Two adjectives to sum up your spirit-filled life. That's what Christianity is. The life of Christ, the spirit of God in us. If you could give me two adjectives to describe your spirit-filled life, I wonder, I wonder how many of us in a moment of honesty would say, I feel weak. And I feel alone. I don't even know what a strong life looks like. I don't know what spirit-filled even feels like. I don't know if God even cares. If that's you, congratulations. You make good Bible. It's not just where Timothy finds himself. In Luke chapter either 10 or 11, Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, he stops by the house of Mary and Martha, two sisters. You may remember the story. Martha gets busy making dinner for the 13. Mary sits at Jesus' feet. It says Martha is distracted by all the preparations. We know what that means. there's rolls in the oven that need to be buttered. So they get a little brown on top. Mashed potatoes still have lumps in them. Someone needs to beat that out. The gel in the fridge probably needs to move to the freezer because the marshmallows aren't setting up quite right. But you don't leave it in the freezer because you can't serve blocks. Someone's got to keep their eye on that. I didn't know he'd bring all 12 of the disciples. Someone's got to go to the garage and get their little folding table, a couple chairs that need to be dusted off. My gosh, I need some help. That's the biblical version of Mary and Martha. And Martha finally has enough. She comes into the living room where Jesus is there talking to disciples. And she says, Jesus, don't you care that I'm doing all this work by myself? Where's her service got her? Where is working out of her strengths got her? She's tired. She feels weak. And she feels like she's all by herself. Oh, I tell you, there's a trap of Christianity today, of you trying your best, of you working for God, and I promise you trying your best will leave you feeling weak and alone because the Christian life is not something we produce. It's something that changes us from the inside out. It's someone we walk with. It's not something we do. And he writes to Timothy, you feel weak, you feel alone. Here's some words of encouragement. And right when things start to get a little philosophical or theological, right when things get complex and about to lose me, Paul breaks out three puppets, and I can do stories. I like puppets. And the first one he puts on, he goes, this is a soldier. I'm going to give you lessons from three things in your note sheet there if you want to follow along. It's there in your bulletin. What we can learn from soldiers, here in verse 3 he says... Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs, but they want to please their commanding officer. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier. The first thing I want to encourage you with and for you to write down is we have to realize that we are in a battle. We have to realize that we are in a battle. Now, now let me tell you something today. You're going to walk out of here today. You're going to get in the car. And if you came with someone, you're going to look at each other and you're going to go, I didn't learn anything new. And I'm going to let you know right away, that's what you're doing. I'm not going to teach you anything new today. In fact, I don't know if I've ever had a message where anybody learned anything new. I love the words of Samuel Johnson and not Samuel L. Jackson. Those are different words. Still quoted, different words. Samuel Johnson said, people simply need to be reminded much more than they need to be instructed. Today, I just wanna remind you of some things you probably already know. Number one, we have to realize that we are in a battle. Notice, Paul doesn't say, your hard life is going to go away. God's going to take your hardship and it's going to magically disappear. God's going to remove the struggle from your life. No, he says, you're going to endure hardship with us because Paul is writing from prison, chained for his hardship. He says, Timothy, you're going to go through tough life with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Have you forgotten you're in a battle? Oh, the American church does an amazing job of saying the moment you become a Christian, the moment you surrender your life and give it to God, the moment you step over that line of faith, you become a son, a daughter, a prince, or princess in the kingdom of God. You're in the family of God. There is a God that loves you. He gives you grace. He gives you mercy. He gives you forgiveness. Yes, 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 yes. But sometimes I think we forget to inform ourselves The moment you became a child of God, you became one of the most hated people that have ever walked the face of the earth. You are hated, hated with intense hatred. Not because of who you are, not because how important you are. Get over yourself. Because of who your father is. There is a good, there is an evil. There is a God, there is a Satan. I would argue it's impossible to have one without the other. And we forget that the moment we made ourselves a child of God, the moment we accepted God's gift and God's grace, oh, we took on a powerful enemy. We put a target on our life. You say, you "Say, Chris, I don't get that. Why? Because Satan hates God. And God has called you son or daughter. And Satan can't touch God. You see, let me put it this way. If you hate me, not you're still just a little bit upset about something I did with the bus ministry 15 years ago, but if you hate me, <laughs> if you hate me intense hatred it is your life ambition to harm me but you can't touch me who do you go after? you go after them did I do it this time? oh man I service at work you go after them you go after Selah Karis or Barrack. because you touch one of those you have just ripped the heart out of dad You want to hurt me? Oh, don't come after me. You want to hurt me? You go after them. I don't know what it's going to take to go through tragedy or harm that comes to one of them. I have not had to experience that yet in life. Have you forgotten that you are hated? I have couple after couple. I have marriage after marriage. I have people after people coming up to me and saying, oh, Chris, this is going on. This is going socially, physically, spiritually, sexually, marriage-wise, relationally. Look what's happened in my life. People coming up going, man, Chris, I just feel like my life's being shot to hell right now. And I always try to step in right there and go, no, I promise you, your life's not being shot to hell. Your life's being shot by hell. And you're surprised. (laughs) You forgot you were in a battle. You forgot that for this short time in life, for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever we have to breathe, this air is simply a battlefield to see what lives around us are going where for eternity. And you forgot you hold the key of truth. And you forgot there is a Satan who cannot keep you from being a child of God, but he can keep you from being useful as a child of God. And he will try to destroy your life. Remember 1 Peter, I think it's 5? Peter writes, he goes, oh, Christian, you got to walk on alert, be on guard, for you have an enemy that goes around like a snake. No, you cannot run a snake. You have an enemy that's like a howling coyote, he writes. No, coyote's like a skinny dog. (laughs) He goes, oh, no, you have an enemy that's a (laughs) roaring lion. I had a pastor once tell me, you know, roaring lions don't bite. When a lion roars, he's not hungry. I looked that up. That was stupid. (laughs) That was stupid. (laughs) When a lion roars, you run. You know you don't have a shot to outrun him, but that's just human instinct. Fight or flight, and you ain't going to fight him, you're going to run. It's going to give you about another 20 feet of life expectancy. You ever watch National Geographic, those specials, or someone send a YouTube video and it starts all peaceful? It's like out somewhere in Africa and Tanzania and there's some tall grass kind of waving and there's this flock of deers. They all have different names, but I call them all deer. They're just deer. And then all of a sudden in the grass, you see these lions that are crouching start to appear and you tell yourself, I should turn this off. I know where this is going, but you keep watching you seen that? The lion's always gonna pick the one that is. And The lion's always gonna pick the ones that are weak and alone. And you're surprised you're being attacked. You're surprised your marriage is being ripped to shreds. We forgot we're in a battle. Our church down in San Diego is in North County on the back gate of Camp Pendleton. Part of our church makeup is over 900 Marine families. We send off men and women, raw. we send off men and women about every month it seems like for deployments. They're coming and going, every month. I've never had one of them come back to me and go, Chris, you wouldn't believe it, people out there were shooting at me. And I'm like, what? Yeah, they put us out there and there was people that didn't like us. I'm like, what, what kind of training did you go through again? Are you kidding me? No, when they go off, they know what they're doing. Have you forgotten? You're in a battle. Are you really surprised your marriage is under attack? Your relationship with your kids is under attack? Your self-esteem, your body image is under attack? Are you really surprised emotionally, socially, physically? You're under attack. When the Bible has told us from beginning to end, you got to be on guard. You have to walk alert. You have an enemy like a roaring lion. Oh, you are loved. You have grace. You have forgiveness. You have mercy. You have a relationship with God and you are hated. And we live our life outside the bunker with these gaping holes in our life that we leave open for the enemy to come in and get more than just a foothold. And we're shocked. Our spiritual life is weak. And feeling alone and he writes Timothy the hardship won't leave let me tell you how to walk through it number two you don't fall for the enemy schemes you don't fall for the enemy schemes he says no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs don't fall for the enemy's schemes and I know you're like oh I got that Chris on the way home from church I'm not going to stop for drugs or prostitution got that Okay, look, if you're watching the clock right now, because on the way out of here, you want to stop for drugs and prostitution, this message isn't for you. I don't, I don't even know if I have a message for you. You're just going to hell. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. If that's what your next half hour consists of, I don't know why you're here. That's not what this is about. He says no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. But well, what is that? He goes, here's Satan's plan to get you so caught up in your kingdom that you're useless for God's kingdom. He's going to get you so caught up in building your empire that you forget about eternity's empire. He wants to get you so caught up about you being the main character of your life that you forget who the main character of your life is. He goes, that's civilian affairs. I get to be an honorary chaplain for HMLA 369. It's the unit down in Camp Pendleton of all the Huey and Cobra pilots. The gunfighters is what they call themselves. You know what I found out the most challenging thing for those men are? It's that in this day and age, every night they can see and talk to their family. I go, isn't that a great thing? He goes, no, Chris, every night I go to the computer and I can see and talk to my family. That's one of the hardest things about being in war today. I'm all, help me explain that. They said when we're out there, we know our mission We have to give full 100% of our attention to that mission. It is so hard when every night I'm dealing with bills, I'm dealing with homework, I'm dealing with authority issues with my son and my wife back home. I have pilot after pilot saying, I can't split my time and attention like that. I'm glad they get to see me, but it's hard on the hearts. See, I'm involved in battle out there. It's hard to keep one foot in civilian affairs back home because that demands all of me. Oh, this civilian never understood that until I sought pilot after pilot and had that related to me. Oh, if you're trying so hard to hang on to this life and make it about you and your kingdom, I promise you, you're not having much luck in his kingdom. Satan's not going to keep us from being a child of God, but he'll try to keep us from being useful. You see, don't fall for the enemy's schemes. And number three, we have to follow a different set of commands. He not only says no one's involved in civilian affairs, but they want to please their commanding officer. We have to follow a different set of commands. We live in a day and age in our Christianity that teaches us to go through this book and pick the verses we want and apply them and skip the ones that we disagree with. What's this say here? God's gonna richly provide everything for my enjoyment? Highlight that one. That's good. What's this one? Every good and perfect gift from, comes from God. I'm praying about that today. Praying about that today. Yep. What's this one? About my sexuality. Is on, well, that was cultural back then. I don't think that's really for us today. I don't think those words really mean the same today. We'll just skip over those. God loves a joyful giver. My generosity, his money, not my... We <laughs> We tooth. We used to call it tithe. Now we call it a tooth. We tooth. We 2%. We tip God. We think he's happy with the 20 in the plate as it goes by. We trust that we can do better with 100% of our money than he can do with 90% of our money. We'll just skip over these verses. What's this one? Oh, God has plans to prosper me and bless me. Give me a hope in a future. Life verse. Claiming that one. You realize that wasn't even written to a person? That was about the nation of Israel. Make it about me. (laughs) Claiming the word of God. It's crazy. He goes, Timothy, I want to encourage you. You're in a battle. Don't get caught up in this kingdom. Put your eyes on God's kingdom. You seek to please your commanding officer. You follow a different set of commands. You obey them. Our men and women cannot fathom getting orders from their CO. We are moving out. And the word comes back to the CEO. We told the company they'd rather stay. Excuse me? No, we told them your orders. They like how they're dug in here. The CEO goes out to the front line. Guys, we are moving out. Colonel's getting dirty today. And the guy's like, yeah, we heard you, but we kind of like the way we have this set up. Oh, it's unthinkable in our armed services. But we can do it to God every day of our life. Oh, I know your commands, but I'm gonna tell you why this doesn't apply to us. See, we're living together because we have just cause. Thanks for your orders. Outdated. Where's it leaving us? We're weak. We're alone. The enemy's tearing us to shreds emotionally, socially, relationally, spiritually, sexually. We're amazed that we're getting shot at. We're wondering why God isn't taking the hardship out of our life. And he's say, "No, oh, son or daughter, you are hated. You're not following the commanding officer. And yeah, you're getting shredded on the battlefield. He turns the corner. He goes similarly. If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Oh, I want you to write this down. If we play on God's team, we play by God's rules. If we play on God's team, we have to play by God's rules. Can you imagine this happening anywhere else? They're right in Ephesus. You know, they have an athletic stadium that seats 20,000. Can you imagine showing up to the Roman games? Everyone's lined up on the track. Everyone has to do their lap. As uh, everyone starts on the line, one of the runners stops and realizes as everybody runs ahead of them, I can go right across the middle. How come no one's running right across the middle? Everyone's taking the long way. And he just shortcuts right across the middle. And the crowd's like, what in the world? He goes across the middle of the track, breaks the tape. Booyah, world record. (laughs) And people are like, you don't get the crown. What do you mean I beat everybody? No, you're an idiot. (laughs) You have to stay on the track. Nobody pulls this off oh, we are in one of the best times of the year. We're in that time of year where God invented March Madness. And it's amazing. College basketball at its finest. Yes, my bracket's already thrown away. I put too much on my Texas home teams. Dumb. It doesn't matter. I'm watching college hoops. Can you imagine somebody grabbing a rebound at one end of the court, grabbing the ball and just running with it? Guy's getting his way and he's stiff arming him. No dribble, just gets the other end, jumps up and slams it. And he yells, scoreboard! People take him away. He's like, but I put in the hoop. There are rules to follow. When it comes to something like athletic events, of course we get it. Paul is writing. He goes, why do we obey the rules of sports? And yet when it comes to the things of God, we think we can cut corners all we want? We're gonna more obey a referee's whistle than the word of God? He goes, you know why you're feeling weak? You know why you're feeling alone? Where are you cutting corners? I put it this way underneath in your note sheet. If we don't play by God's rules, maybe we aren't on his team. I'd hate to see some of us cross the finish line of life, show up and say, coach, what do I get? To simply have God go, coach, you were never on my team. Man, I ran the race. You ran it your way. You can't run the Christian life your way, he said, and expect to get a crown. Church, we got so many areas where we're cutting our own corners. We're doing our own way of life. We're picking and choosing what applies to us. And we wonder why we don't have strength in Christ. We're wondering what spirit-filled is all about. It makes sense when it comes to battle. It makes sense when it comes to athletics but we have a much lower standard when it comes to the word of God. He goes, let me give you a third example. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. So reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. He goes, let let me give you a third. You don't like the soldier. You don't like the athlete. Okay. Let let me give you the farmer. Have you ever been around farmers? (laughs) Have you ever known a, a harder working group of people? In my life growing up in East Texas and West Texas, we spent about four years, my middle school years, and we went to Iowa. And uh, we lived up there for a while. And it was all farm country, Waterloo, Iowa. My mom made a friend at the school that we were at, and she set up an overnighter for me and a guy named Troy my second week there. She goes, Chris, I I met someone. I think he's gonna be a friend. You're gonna spend the night at his house Friday night. So I went back to school, and I'm like, hey, Troy, I guess I'm the new kid. I'm staying the night at your house. He's like, dude, it's gonna be great. He goes, we can drive a pickup truck and just shoot BB guns. And I'm all with your dad? He goes, no, it's just a farm. My dad will drive the truck through the gate. Once we're out in the fields, we can drive the truck. (laughs) As a seventh grader, I'm in. With a gun? (laughs) Friday night, we didn't get the truck, but we shot BB guns in the barn at Pigeons and at, at, at Make Believe Objects all night long. Oh, it was a blast. We slept up in his attic under about 20 blankets because the wind would blow through the attic and the posters on his wall would move. It was freezing cold. All these blankets, you'd get on. Once they got on top of you, you couldn't move. 5.30 Saturday morning, I'm laying there in the dark and all of a sudden, two minutes. That's all I heard. My eyes are wide open. I'm like, we're gonna die in two minutes. (laughs) Troy jumps out and he gets out of bed, starts putting on the clothes. And he looks at me, he goes, if you know what's good for you, you better put on your clothes. I jumped out of bed. I started putting on my clothes, got my shirt, got my jacket, got everything on. I go, what's going on? He goes, we got to work. And I go, we? (laughs) We ain't getting paid. He goes, dude, we're on a farm. We all work. And I'm all, we? We made our way downstairs, got up to the back porch, let me borrow a pair of boots. They gave me a job of putting hay in the troughs, opening up one of the pins on the outside of the barn. I followed around, they give me chores to do. We worked two hours in the dark before we had breakfast. I'm like, you know what we do on Saturday? We wake up at noon to a bowl of Captain Crunch and cartoons. Two things I learned that day. Number one, if someone in your family is a farmer, everyone's a farmer. The family's committed to this process. I learned that that day. I learned that there's not a harder working group of people than farmers. The second thing I learned is that early on I realized I will never spend the night at a farmer's house again. (laughs) Ever. Kids would ask me, hey, you wanna come spend the night? I go, where do you live? A farm. I'm sick that day. (laughs) Here's what I learned all the farmers' guys like to spend the night at my house in the city. We slept till noon and had Captain Crunch. He goes, as farmers, do you understand? Write it down. Spiritual growth takes dedication and determination. Spiritual growth takes dedication and determination. He says, Timothy, this is going to be hard. I want you to see your Christian life like a hardworking farmer. Oh, but Timothy, let me promise you, you will be the first to receive a share of the crops. Have you noticed your Christian life is not paying off on the 15th and the 30th? Have you noticed at the end of the month, you do not get a check of benefits for your faithfulness? Have you noticed you do not get a receipt or a statement at the end of the year with your taxes that shows what your obedience has earned you? Have you noticed a farmer will take the ground? He will work the ground. He will break the ground. He will fertilize the ground. He will plow the ground. He will seed the ground. He will weed the ground. He will look to the heavens and pray there's enough rain and there's enough sun to grow the ground. He will tend the ground and he won't know to the very end. He won't know till the harvest if there is anything to show for his work, if there is anything that's gonna come from this. But every day he gets up and he's at it. He goes, Timothy, there's your spiritual life. He goes, oh, let me promise you, heaven's going to be worth it. In fact, two things to making it happen, two keys. Number one, eternity will be well worth the sacrifice. Eternity will be well worth the sacrifice. He said, there will be a day where you will share for eternity in your faithfulness. I know it's tough plowing right now. Oh, you put your head down and you remain faithful. You don't cut corners. You don't cut any of your CO's commands. He goes, you remain faithful, buddy. Oh, it's hardship. We're in a battle. Let me promise you it'll pay off. Church, may I remind you, if you are a follower of Christ, listen to me. This life is as close to hell as you will ever get. This is it. This is your hell. This is as tough as it will ever get. We have heaven for home. Oh, if you're just checking out Christianity, I'm glad you're at the church. They preach the word of God faithfully here. Oh, but let me encourage you. If you're walking this life by your own rules, with your own corners, and you aren't on God's team, oh, let me encourage you. This life is as close to heaven as you will ever get. And this is no heaven, folks. This is that short, momentary blot on our existence. This is simply where there's a battle for every life and every soul that we know for eternity. You chose to be on the winning team. You are loved, you are sought after by the creator, and you are hated by the enemy. And when we walk through life and we leave ourselves open to the attack, by what we watch and what we do and what we partake in, we invite the enemy in. Oh, no wonder we're weak, no wonder we're alone. You see, let me remind you in closing, Our strength comes from whose we are, not who we are. We went over it in verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Your value, your worth, your strength comes in knowing whose you are, not who you are. You are a son, a daughter, a prince, a princess in the kingdom of God. You are heir to the throne. You have a relationship with God Almighty. Our job is just to remain faithful. It's his life in us, through us, that changes us from the inside out. Apart from him, all we can get is weak, tired, and alone. We just walk in his word. We measure obedience simply by obedience. Not in life going better. Not the payoff. Walking with his God, knowing his pleasure and his favor is on us. Timothy, Ephesus has had its way with you. Get back in the game. You have a coach, a father, a God who will give forgiveness and mercy, who invites you back. God, may we be a people today that walk back in your grace and your promises God, may we be a people today, if we're cutting the corners, if we're playing by our own rules, if there's anything in our life that we are doing our way, may we lay it down. May we surrender. May we ask forgiveness. God, may we wake up every day as farmers, simply focused on following you, walking this life, holding the hand of the creator of the universe. And God, may you bring strength back to our weakness. May you bring relationship back into our loneliness. In Jesus' name. Amen.